Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. And welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast that is your weekly guilty pleasure. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Sarah McDonald. I don't know why I stumbled over your name. You sounded confused then when you read my name out. Are you okay? It's been the 20, like 30 weeks almost that we've been doing this. I have no idea. Hey, coming up on today's show, The Bachelor shines a light on a bikini trend we aren't totally sure we can get behind. The rise and rise of Zoe Foster Blake and the footy players who just won't stop behaving badly. But first, Michelle, how was your week? I feel like this is going to be good. You've clickbaited me all week with this. Good for you, bad for me. I've had the worst week. You know when it rains, it pours. Why is it good for me? That defines good for you because it's entertaining for you. My misery is your entertainment, apparently. So I got pulled over by the police a few days ago. For what? For speeding. This isn't good. No, I've never had a speeding fine. I've been driving for, what, six years now. Never had a speeding fine. I wish I had had my first speeding fine by being caught by a camera. I was not. I was caught by a policeman who that pulled me, me over. That would feel sick because I am quite a straight shooter in terms of how I've always followed the rules. Like I, I nearly was cried. worst at school. Oh, my God. It- I would have cried. I would have burst into tears. <laughs> so I thought the speed limit was 60. It was not. It was 50. I was going 62. And uh, he pulled me over. And I I literally, when I saw him behind me, I had no idea. I didn't even think they were pulling me over. Lights. I didn't even know they were pulling me over. So I I pulled into the side street that I first saw. But I was thinking in my head, I'm like, they've got this wrong. Or maybe I haven't paid my registration. Or I was thinking of all the possibilities. I'm like, I definitely wasn't speeding because I was going 62 or like a little bit over 60 on a 60 zone. I was definitely speeding and it cost me $300 and three demerit points. Goodness me. Yeah. And that really awkward thing happened where you pull over and then every passing car stops to look at who's the dickhead who got pulled over by the police. That was me. What else happened? Richmond uh, lost. Richmond lost the preliminary final when we definitely weren't expected to. So congratulations to any Collingwood supporters. I struggled with that loss a little bit. I almost broke my fist when I was doing a boxing class for a story that I'm writing. It has been a pretty crap week. I misplaced my keys at one point. It, it's just been like a frazzled kind of yeah, week. Yeah. And I had really bad anxiety the entire way through, which I haven't had for ages. But then I've got a psychologist appointment coming up. So that is much needed. What about your week? Um, if it helps, I, <laughs> I'm trying to think. My week was pretty fine. Like there was nothing out of the ordinary apart from the fact I have uh, started a new job in the last month or two and thought I was making great headway and making friends. Oh no, and what happened? I fell up the stairs <laughs> and I know it doesn't sound as dramatic because I am like generally quite clumsy. So when I'm walking downstairs, I am like focusing far more than needs 
that anyone needs to focus on walking downstairs. Didn't focus on walking up the stairs. And I tripped and I had one of those wanky piccolos in my hand because it was an afternoon coffee. Wait, piccolo, oh. And there's not much in a piccolo, so that basically was done. No. And I had this massive gash on my ankle that I had to pretend wasn't there oh. under my desk. And I couldn't leave my desk because I didn't want anyone to say that I was bleeding because then people would make more of a deal of it. Is that why you sent me a photo of your shoes? I thought you were just sending me a photo of your shoes. No, no, no. I was trying to send you a photo. My my ankle was swollen as well and I couldn't oh my leave God. my desk because... I'm going to get that photo back up while we chat about it. I didn't see the gash on your leg. I couldn't, I couldn't leave my desk because then I'd also be limping. <laughs> And I didn't want anyone to say that it was more of a deal. I didn't want to remind them of what had happened. So if that helps, other than that, the week was fine. Oh, I've seen your gash now. That yeah. looks really sore. It was actually quite deep. I was texting people thinking that I needed stitches. I absolutely didn't need stitches. You're fine. Yeah, but it's just looking pretty nasty. We'll put that in the Facebook group. No, don't, because my ankle is so swollen in that photo too. All right. Moving away from your ankle gash and my uh, speeding fine. This week, everyone was talking about the floss bikini. I wondered where they got the name the floss bikini. Can you enlighten me? Well, I'm guessing dental floss is quite like that, it's stringy. Why and, don't you just call it a G-string bikini trend? But what, these aren't G-strings because G-strings are like that where the floss is up your bum crack. This is around the sides, like connecting the front bit and the back bit looks like floss. Does that right. make sense? No, Am it I does. getting a good visual image? They're not. I don't think that idea in itself is necessarily new. I feel like how they sit on the hips is a relatively new thing, which is they sit a bit higher. Mm. I think it suits a much more sort of sporty kind of body now. Yeah, which athletic we body. sort of glorify on Instagram a little bit, so I don't think it's any surprise that these bikinis have come back. But we're talking about it, of course, because Cass on The Bachelor wore them and suddenly – Headlines came. Oh yeah, every major media company in Australia was running stories about the floss bikini and how everyone's going to start wearing it. People weren't happy with Cass because they felt like she was trying to draw some type of attention to herself. Who wasn't or happy? The Daily Mail wasn't well, happy. How do you or, know they weren't happy? Well, you know what they do on the Daily Mail if three people write a negative comment on social media suddenly. Everyone on social media feels the same way, according to the Daily Mail, and they run a story as if everyone's hating on Cass when it's really just a handful of comments. That is my pet peeve when a new TV show launches in that, when they do that, like the TV show gets slammed and you've literally just picked four comments from Twitter. Regardless, I did see a story on Yahoo about it, which probably addressed it in still a kind of grotesque way because we're still talking about bodies and bikinis, but saying like people can't stop talking about this. And I think that's a pretty fair assumption and a pretty fair comment because it is a bikini trend that is generating conversation because nobody really knows what the hell's going on with it because it doesn't suit many people. Yeah, no, I don't think it, it, we haven't seen it on any bodies above a size eight, which is interesting. Um, I just can't stop thinking about the ingrown hairs and all the other problems in that area that I would be worried about. Like, just realistically, I'm probably going to have an ingrown hair at some point over summer and I don't want it to be... I'm not going to be able to wear a floss bikini. Like, that doesn't have any type of coverage. If I have any type of... Well, there was anything going on in that area that isn't like a Persian cat. Wait, Persian cat? Sphinx cat. Is that what I mean? Not sure. <laughs> the I mean, ugly careless cat. cats. They're really ugly cats. Like, that's weird, know, a weird uh, parallel. I need to move it on. <laughs> but I just... I saw a couple of tweets as well while The Bachelor was on about how the girls keep themselves... Uh, we're struggling. Maintained? Mate, that's better. Like a sphinx cat. <laughs> Spat out your coffee. <laughs> Just going to make sure that's the right type of cat because I know I'm going to get emails from people telling me that. Anyway, there was commentary saying, like, how do they maintain themselves? Like, are they getting a beauty therapist in there? Is there a beauty therapist in the house? Are they DIYing this shit? Interesting regardless. I do t- take it in a more serious note. And I, I've wondered where I've sat on this for a while when it comes to the 
shows in particular like The Bachelor where the expectation in some dates is that girls take their clothes off and have and walk around on national television in a bikini. What do you feasibly do if you don't feel comfortable doing that? Wear a one-piece, I think. But even still, like it's quite – we live in a world where we're taught that we should be ashamed of our bodies if it doesn't look like a certain type of body. And Well, how many bodies on The Bachelor are transgressive? Well, Not a yeah, whole heap. That's also true. But I still think that, that, that – I mean, having a body that's aesthetically how we assume a, a perfect body should be doesn't disqualify you from having insecurities. I just think it's interesting that we still expect them to strip off and have dates in bikinis because mm. that's uncomfortable for the best of people. And beach fashion is so fraught. I feel even in myself going into summer soon, what is it now? We're in September, almost October. I already feel conflicted about what type of bikinis I want to buy anymore because a lot of the bikinis on the market are teeny tiny, like teeny tiny stuff that I probably wouldn't even wear as underwear. And I don't know. I I feel like as I've gotten older and my relationship with my body and myself has changed, what I would have worn when I was 18 and 19 is entirely different to what I would wear and how much I would show at 24. Oh, my God, absolutely. I think I went through a really big stage of being a teenager who felt like there was currency in showing my body. And so I often wore things that were more revealing or probably would have worn a floss bikini at that age. I don't know if I would now simply because I don't feel like it's comfortable or practical and if I'm going to the beach I'm not sure if I want to have a tiny piece of material God, no, covering the most intimate area of my body. It's so impractical but I think it, for me it's the worry of an Instagram trend that our clothes are getting smaller and tighter because it's easier to, to photograph your body when stuff is smaller and tighter. Yeah it's so true it's so true. I'd, I don't know I think what I put on Instagram now is just very different as well. I think a lot of women would probably go through that stage because we're all growing up with this medium we would probably go through the stage where what we posted a few years ago, and I know this in myself, is entirely different to what I post today and what I wear today. I think that's true. Do you think that there's an issue with the bikini itself or it's just because I've wondered this too. What's the difference? I mean, it's alienating for a lot of women to see a bikini like this become really popular. But then what's the difference between a bikini itself just being alienating for a lot of women too? Yeah, well, I don't know. I guess it all depends on the brands who are marketing this bikini to people. I mean, we've only seen it so far on stick thin models. And that's another dimension of this that I find quite worrying. I feel like a lot of the women on Instagram who are Instagram models with uh, with inverted commas around that word, I feel like are getting skinnier and skinnier. I've seen... Do you really think? What about... Isn't it not all about the ass? No, it is, but <laughs> I feel like... butt lift as we've been talking about. No, but I feel like it's really curious to see, yes... The ass is all about, we're all about that. But the waist, yeah, I true. feel like, is the biggest trend at the moment. And if you look on Celeb Face, which we spoke about a few weeks ago, so many women are cinching their waist in to ridiculous lengths on Photoshopping app. I feel like we're going back towards that, where it's all about your waist being as tiny as possible and your stomach having absolutely no fat on it whatsoever. Yeah. That we, I feel like bigger women will feel more comfortable to wear this kind of floss bikini. It's just they haven't seen it and you can't be what you can't see. Only on someone like Cass on The Bachelor and she is beautiful, but probably not the average woman. Yeah. And then the other part of me thinks, well, if Cass works hard for her body and if she's proud of it and if she wants to show it off in a floss bikini, fucking let her do it. Oh, I don't think there's any issue with her doing it at all. I think it's kind of unfair that the conversation is sparked from one woman wearing the bikini when it's been everywhere. But I do think it's interesting that it's, it's another trend that's incredibly inaccessible for a lot of people.
And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you the top five celebrity stories from the news cycle that you may have missed because you were busy living your life. Zara, you are taking it away this week. I was not busy living my life, so I can do this segment this week. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was busy having a yeah. shit time, so So we've tell heard. Me. So we've heard. Okay, first story on my list is world's best clickbait, I think, from news.com. Nick's surprise finale move. Oh, my God. I, I wouldn't have clicked on this because I would have thought I was being baited, but this was actually a really interesting story. Do you want to run everyone through it? This is very interesting to me. Also, I think we need to flag that this could be a potential spoiler. So if you've been doing your absolute best to avoid potential spoilers, just... You would need a degree at the moment to avoid... I know, but I do want to flag it because it's only fair. Skip ahead a little bit. But Nick Badger or the Honey Badger or whatever the hell his name Nick is... Nick Badger, Nick Cummins. I keep babe. getting forget. Keep... Budgie Smuggler. I keep forgetting. Yeah, it's the budgie smuggler. Yeah, Let's that's, go with that. <laughs> it's actually the smudgy bugler. Anyway, <laughs> let me get to my point. Uh, Honey Badger is actually overseas for when the finale airs. So traditionally when the finale airs of The Bachelor or any major reality show, all of the stars are in the country ready to do a massive press tour across often Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah, contractually they have to do it. Absolutely. So there'd be stuff on um, TV and breakfast radio. And he is going to be in Papua New Guinea with tourism company Australian Kokoda Tours Um over the finale, so won't be around to do press. I would love to know what Channel Ten thinks of that. They, he was—he's. They would have let him. They would have. I they, don't this know. is probably hundred percent. This is their backup plan. He is clearly not with the winner. I'm so sorry if you skipped ahead and this is where you landed. <laughs> he is very clearly not with the winner, and they needed to find a way to play this now so it doesn't look fully dodgy. That he's, he's got. In an, he's in Papua New Guinea. That already looks dodgy. Of course, but what else are you going to do until the finale and be like, oh, actually, all all press is cancelled. It's not happening. It's so it, that awkward. that causes a much bigger stir than oh, saying he's. That makes sense. So Channel 10 sent him there so that it's not like immediately of course. clear. Or okay, he's saying gotcha. like, I've got this opportunity that's come up over the finale and they're saying, yep, go. We can say that you were contractually obliged to be in Papua New Guinea with this sponsorship agreement, which just doesn't make any sense because no sponsorship agreement would override The Bachelor. But I think for now, maybe that's how they're playing it. A very clever listener put her theory in our Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip, if you're not already in there. And she wrote that she thinks the Honey Badger has dated this woman that he picks at the end, which I think is Britney, you think is Britney, and the whole oh, of Australia wow. thinks is Britney, uh, and that he has dumped her or something's happened that depicts him in a really bad light that Channel 10 and Nick can't get out of very easily. And this is the reason that he's literally being taken out of the country because he's about to be royally slammed for however he's treated this winner. And I can see that happening. But I can't see her being the one that does an air and Barnett and goes wild on what happened. But I think regardless of what happened, I think even just dumping her three weeks after the finale doesn't look good. So no, there's no way out of it. Number two, we need to talk about Drake texting Millie Bobby Brown. That is from The Independent. We do need to talk about that. For anyone who missed it, Drake, who's in his 30s, has been messaging Millie Bobby Brown, who's in her teens. She's 14. Yeah, she's uh, <laughs> freshly in her teens. Who's in a uterus still, yeah. basically telling her that he misses her. Apparently they're good friends and he gives her advice on boys. Yeah, so she was interviewed on the Emmys red carpet and this is what she had to say. What about your relationship with Drake? Tell me about your friendship. How did this all come about? I love him. I met him in Australia and um, he's honestly so fantastic and a great friend and a great uh, great role model. You know, we text, we just text each other the other day and he was like, I miss you so much. I was like, I miss you more. He's coming to Atlanta, so I'm definitely going to go and see him. I'm so excited, yeah. What advice does he give you? Like, what does he say? 
Uh, about boys. He helps me. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. He's wonderful. I love What's him. What's his advice with boys? You know, that stays in the text messages. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Not great. I Look, there's two sides to this, right? One part of me thinks that Millie Bobby Brown, as an excited 14-year-old, has told the world that she's best friends with this person she really admires and has overplayed Absolutely. what type of relationship they have. And I can see myself as a teenager doing that and any type of teenager exaggerating or using hyperbolic language to describe something that's really nothing, non-existent. And I think context is quite important here because I think if you keep watching the interview, she talks about Jeff Goldburn Um you know, minutes later and she says exactly the same thing. Oh my God, Jeff, I love him. I love him. We get along so well. I love him. It seems to be a pretty general way that she describes people. So initially I was a bit grossed by Drake. I don't think it helps that Drake is reportedly seeing an 18 year old at the moment too. (laughs) But he's known since she was 16. I think my concern lies more with uh, Millie Bobby Brown being and acting as an adult when I feel like she's a child. Yeah. And I don't know why that makes me so uncomfortable. No, well, I don't know. I feel like there needs to be some type of policing around who she is and isn't texting in Hollywood. I feel like I uh, maybe Drake's a really nice guy and maybe he's got her best intentions at heart, but I don't think it's normal for a man in his 30s to be telling a girl in her teens that he misses her when they're not Related. The power dynamic is incredibly worrying, and I think a relationship like that is more likely to be uh, taken advantage of by Drake or for someone like Millie and Bobby Brown to not understand the dynamic itself, which I think is why I get so stressed about these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think it's very fair that a conversation has you know, uh, arisen because of it. Millie Bobby Brown responded on Instagram saying, I'm not sure why everybody's so focused on this, you know, peace out or whatever. Yeah, stop. basically the message was stop being obsessed with who I'm friends with. But I think it's actually very important that we are interested in who she's friends with. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of nuance that she'll probably see in this scenario when she has a few years behind her. Maybe a decade. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Number three. So we've been pronouncing Chrissy Tigan's name wrong this whole time from Mamma Mia. That's the whole story right there. Literally the whole story. She's not Tegan, she's Tigan. Next I, story. Do, I do love this story because it sort of speaks to anyone whose name has ever been mispronounced or who has been called the wrong name and they just cannot be bothered fixing it. There has been so many times growing up that I've been called my sister's name because she's two years older than me and we sort of, I don't know if we look similar. But, you know, you just never bother picking it up because it's just too annoying. And even when the people who do pronounce it correctly pronounce it correctly, they get slammed yeah. by everyone else who goes, that's not how you pronounce it. Like, for example, apparently Sharapova is supposed to be Sharapova. Oh. And anyone who pronounces it Sharapova gets slammed in the media because they're like, why are you being so arrogant and pronouncing it the right it's way? Like Ibiza versus Ibiza. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> Number four, are they getting back together? Wiggle stars Lachlan Gillespie and Emma Watkins share flirty exchange on social media after hinting they need some grammar in here. At a reconciliation following marriage split from the Daily Mail. A paragraph. Yes. An essay. A thesis, if I've ever seen one. Uh, what I've loved about this is I'm pretty sure Lachlan and Emma from the Wiggles are setting up paparazzi shots. Thoughts? No doubt about it. There was a great... I say there is a doubt about it because we don't know what's going on. But I have to say, I s- sent you this link, I think, during the week of a an article about them on the Daily Telegraph, them walking down the street and hanging out on the weekend, and the photos were exceptionally close. Yeah, they were very high quality. They were very... Yeah. Uh, it's quite interesting. What was the flirty exchange? The flirty exchange was something on social media about it was one of their birthdays, and then they used like nicknames for each other in the comments, and were like, ha, 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 love you, blah, blah, blah. Usually bit- this flirty um, sort of performative breakup kind of annoys me, and I know we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but I actually don't blame... 
Lachlan and Emma because they're Wiggles, they actually don't have another option for their careers to stay intact. So I, I don't care that this is all probably very fake. I think they need to do it in order to keep the, the band. Oh, and of course. And it's I love seeing <laughs> the band. I can't believe we've spoken about the Wiggles for the last five weeks. <laughs> I also love seeing really set up awkward paparazzi shots. So the more they want to do that, I'll just have a bit of a laugh at it every this week. This is true. And a laugh story. I found this quite interesting. I'm glad one of us did. Did you not like this one? I don't care about the royals. How many times do we have to go through this? <laughs> Prince William's cousin is dating Pippa Middleton's ex from Grazia. So <laughs> why am I supposed to care about Let that? Let me take you on this whirlwind. <laughs> Lady Gabriella Windsor is the daughter of Prince and Princess Michael of Kent. Now, for those who have uh, been following this for a while, Princess Michael of Kent was the one who wore that racist brooch back in the day. Oh, yes. When she was meeting Meghan Markle for the first time. Lady Gabriella Windsor is dating Thomas Kingston, who is uh, Pippa Middleton's ex, who she dated for a little while. Okay, great. You've just given me a story about people that I don't know and people I don't care about. I think it's just funny that these people live in a bubble that <laughs> won't date anyone outside of it. It's very incestuous, Exactly, isn't it? and that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Probably the product I'm most fussy about out of all of them is lip balm. I've been testing them as we all have since I was about 12 years old. So when it came to making my own, I was incredibly fussy and extremely fastidious about the process. So I'm super, super proud of it. I wouldn't have put it to market if I wasn't and hopefully you'll be too. She might just be the most adored woman in the Australian media landscape. This week, author and entrepreneur Zoe Foster-Blake announced she's releasing another book. Her ninth, in fact. Titled Love, it's a compilation of essays about relationships and, well, you guessed it, love. With her 668,000 followers behind her, a skincare brand that just launched in the US, two weirdly cute children, and a wildly successful husband who's honestly beginning to look a little lazy by comparison, it begs the question, how the hell does Zoe Foster-Blake do it? Zara, thoughts? <laughs> Tell me how. What Tell me I, the secret. What do I know? Um, no, I do think there's actually so many layers to this that it is quite a loaded question because she does this beautiful thing of being able to sort of float under the radar while very much being on our radar. And when I say that, I mean she's floating under that radar that she's not always in our face to the point where we feel like she's being a pain, but she is almost always in our peripherals doing something brilliant. And I think for that reason, people very much like her. When it also comes to Zoe, I don't think, I think the first thing we can say is I don't think you can underestimate the power of being self-deprecating when you're Australian. I think if you are comparing her to someone like Roxy Jasenko, and I think you should put your story that you wrote, uh, the comparison between how we perceive Roxy Jasenko and Zoe Foster Blake in the show notes. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Just bossing you around about Thanks. your own stuff. But I think if you put the comparison there, I think one of the core differences, because their success is quite parallel, is how they handle their success and how they are public about their success. And I don't think we can underestimate the power of being self-deprecating. Yeah, I totally agree. I think... The idea of aesthetic aspiration we talk about all the time, and we spoke about it last week when we spoke about Afterpay on Instagram, but for Zoe Foster-Blake, I feel like it's major career aspiration that mm. I look to some people on Instagram now, and it's not to look at what car they have or what holiday they're going on. The older I get, the more I'm looking to other women and going, whoa, look at what they're doing in their career. And Zoe Foster-Blake is that. I actually struggle to believe how unencumbered her success has been. She mm. is brilliant and she has done so many incredible things. And I know that her writing might not be critically acclaimed. I know that lots of book reviewers might not read her stories and think they're particularly, I don't know, clever. educational or clever. However, they are 
extremely successful in a I'm, marketing sense well, and in a they're profitability commercial and sense. I think there's something clever in being commercial too. I don't think you can just put it to the side as being silly and fluffy. There's commercial appeal for that kind of work and it's incredibly patronising for people to not take that seriously. Yeah, totally. So for her to write nine books now and be in, she's living in the US for a few months with obviously Hamish and their young family, launching her skincare line Go To and promoting it over there. I just can't help think, how much strategy is behind this woman's rise? I would really love to know whether she planned to do this off writing really good content and really interesting content for women, that she has now created an empire for herself. And then the other flip side of this is how is she so well loved when so many women in the Australian media landscape are so reviled for how they behave? And she does really toe a line quite fantastically between being fun and engaging without ever being political. Well, I there is something about her that's not polarising when almost any other woman in the, the public eye is polarising and that's often because they do speak their mind and I think what a lot of people probably don't realise is that she doesn't ever say that much. And I have to say, this... I used to, I have to, I have to be honest. It used to annoy me that her feed was very carefully curated and maybe a little too shiny and how she didn't really say anything about anything ever. I have always wanted to see women a little bit more like me in the public eye who are a little more unrefined, occasionally blunt and also willing to speak her mind about opinions. But the more I've got older, I've realized that we don't live, I don't think in a climate that allows women to be their true selves publicly. I don't think we allow a woman to be her full spectrum. So she kind of has to pick a side. I don't think she can be all of these things and be political and be very well loved. And I think that's a blight on us. Yeah. And if you look at someone, let's say Sophie Keisha, who does do that what's and all type of discussion about her life, Sophie Keisha is really slammed, if rightly or wrongly, Constance for what Hall. she does. Constance Hall. It's this really difficult tightrope to walk that if you want to be a woman in the public eye and if you want to share your opinion, it's almost nothing worse. A woman with opinions and a woman with candor in how she speaks is really quite offensive to a lot of people. So this was this is what I was thinking as we were talking about doing this segment is is there a space for a woman like Zoe to be well known in Australia and well loved in Australia and to be political too? Because I can't think of any examples. You can think of a Chrissy Swan, for example, who is generally quite well liked, but who is on Breakfast Radio and is uh, paid to give her opinion on a wealth of things every single day. And although she is well loved, I do think there's a corner of uh, the country that find that uncomfortable for sure. So I actually cannot think of a person who can be both of the things. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. She's really carved out her own little niche and she's expanded that slowly over the years. I mean, Zoe Foster Blake started in magazines and how she's then transformed from then going to a blog and then turning that blog into a brand and then from there getting ambassadorships and doing all this different stuff. She has carved out a niche that no one else is doing. I mean, the other, on parallel that I see is probably Pandora Sykes. However, Pandora Sykes is quite political. Mm, Pandora Sykes is, for anyone who doesn't know, she's the host of the Hilo in the UK. And she's also kind of like a beauty fashion writer and she's got a very loyal following and her Instagram feed and her social media is very heavily curated. And I really appreciated the column that you put in our group this week, Zara, that Pandora wrote for Man Repeller in defense of not showing everything and how when things do go wrong, and I'm sure things go wrong in Zoe Foster Blake's life, that's something 
something that she wants to hold to herself. That's not something she wants to share because it's vulnerable and it belongs to her. It's exposing. And I know I've had this conversation with you and my social media feed is just for my friends. Like I don't have any kind of following of any of any stretch. But I have had this conversation with you is because I think there's a certain level of uncomfortability I have about Instagram in particular in knowing that I don't always feel great for being on the platform. And then it makes me be very self-aware and, and analyze my own activity on that thinking, is there something that I'm doing on this platform that might be making somebody else feel unnecessarily alone? But by nature, I'm not a huge sharer of struggles. I'm quite private in that sense. So how, how do you juggle those two things? Zoe very clearly doesn't. She doesn't really share the the stuff that goes wrong. And I don't actually think she has to. I think we're kind of starting to move along from this idea that in order to be authentic on Instagram, you have to share warts and all. Because I don't also think that's very helpful, particularly for the person sharing. I don't think it's very helpful for anybody. Totally agree with you. The part that I really wanted to discuss about Zoe Foster-Blake is although she's never seen as controversial, I've never seen a negative thing in the press about Zoe Foster-Blake whatsoever. It doesn't mean that she hasn't done controversial things. I just haven't read about them anywhere. So what other women are slammed for, I haven't, not slammed even, but are critiqued for. I haven't seen that for Zoe Foster Blake and I wonder why that is. So you might remember, for example, their wedding photos were sold to Woman's Day. Hamish and Zoe sold their wedding photos for what was reported to be quite a large sum. And that type of act in itself is often looked down upon and uh, seen as money hungry. I don't believe that myself. I think if you're going to make $200,000, which was a rumored amount in one publication that I read for a few photos, by all means, go and do it. However, things that other women are seen in a certain light for, Zoe Foster Blake's not seen in that way. So for her to sell her photos, it doesn't really align with her brand that we see on Instagram No, and she would never do that now, I don't think. But I think it does come down to her cultivating, and and Hamish, cultivating a very trustworthy image before they did that. I think there's a certain level of distrust that comes from social media. And a lot of our criticism of people in the public eye is directly rooted in our distrust because of social media. And I, I think we always have this idea that we might not always be getting the full story. When it comes to Zoe and Hamish, both of them had very public profiles before social media and we trusted them a lot before social media. And I think that's part of her appeal in that women have trusted Zoe for her advice and for her opinion since she was writing for Cosmo and since she was writing on her blog and books. And that's for a very long time before the shiny facade of Instagram came around. Yeah, that's so true. Another thing that I find fascinating is that she's the brand or has been in the past, the brand ambassador for Hypoxy, which is, it's kind of confusing. It's a brand that has low impact exercise regimes and technology. So actual little machines that are supposed to help you lose weight and get rid of cellulite. Mm. And I again find that interesting because it's that tightrope of if you're a beauty influencer and if you're in the realm of making women look more aesthetically pleasing, is that good for women? And of course, Zoe, in a lot of what she does now, is very woman positive and really seeks to empower women, I feel like, in a lot of what she does now. But again, Hypoxy is a brand that she's worked with quite recently and that hasn't been spoken about. I think this also, because I agree with you, it's a really interesting branding decision, again, that I think she would be much smarter about now. But I wonder if it's just part of the niche that she came through or the part of the niche that she chose to rise through, which was the beauty and lifestyle and fashion industry, which is traditionally out of touch and accused of being fake. And I think she stood for a while as sort of like a guiding trustworthy force. And I think this part comes down to her branding herself by what she does, not what she says. So she's never said, 
I'm a feminist hero that's going to lead you guys and make you your lives better. She's never said that. And I think that's where a lot of women can fall down when they make money off feminism and they brand themselves as feminists because you have a long way to fall. Now, you have to be very careful with this because there's no way you want to discourage anyone from coming out and saying, hey, I'm a feminist. I think the difference is making money off that feminism. And she's never done that. She's she's been a force in women's lives that they can trust and she has never... And she's also been a force of light, yes. I feel like. She's, I've never associated Zoe Foster Blake with anything negative. No. And that's probably a lot of what she aims to do, that when I see Zoe Foster Blake on my feed, it is colourful, it is funny, and it is an injection of positivity into my day, whether it's through a lipstick or a funny caption or a cute photo of her kids. And I think there is this big misconception that in order to make women's lives better, you have to be a feminist that's making money off a feminist brand. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think your brand can be innately feminist without talking about it all the time. You can just, I think it's more important to act that way and be supportive of women. Now, obviously hypoxia is a strange choice given that, but no, nobody's track record is completely perfect. I think she's just not held to ridiculous standards because she's never asked us to hold her to those standards. Yeah. And I think in doing what she's doing, which is carving out such a glittering, successful career for herself, she already is that role model for people and she already is that kind of feminist warrior showing that yeah. she also, I think one of the parts that is really likable about Zoe, that I find likable anyway, is that she doesn't come from a really privileged platform. It's not like her life before all this success and fame was by any means beyond mediocre. She had the average Australian childhood from everything that I've read. She lived on a farm with her very modern blended family, which her mum and her dad had, I think it was five kids before they got together and there's eight in total. And it sounds like she came from quite a strict upbringing where TV was really frowned upon and she thrived under that. So to see her come from that background is really likable. That's another dimension of establishing someone in the Australian media landscape as someone who's likable is seeing someone come from an average existence. And that's the same as Hamish, who came from mm. quite an average household They as are well. one of us. They are one of us. Exactly. And that's how she's always come across. And she's so great at speaking to Australian women from Their like the, the exact, exact same level as them. She's never trying to speak down to them, which is such a huge issue with beauty writing and beauty content in that beauty writers often try to establish themselves as the authority. Same and as fashion. Some, and fashion, exactly. And it's very exclusive in that mm. sense that you're not invited into the conversation because if you don't know enough about it, well, that's up to you. And if you don't know what retinol means, then you're an idiot and this content isn't for you. This isn't a place for you. Where she's constantly welcoming women into the conversation and that's part of the reason she's so widely liked when you brought up the topic of Roxy Jasenko before, the parallel that I see between Zoe Foster Blake and Roxy Jasenko, for anyone who doesn't know Roxy Jasenko, she is a PR mega machine mogul. Zoe's feed is dripping in money as much as Roxy's is. Every single post that she puts up, she will tag the brands that she's wearing and they are almost exclusively the highest end brands in the world. So Gucci, Balmain, is it Balmain? See, I'm showing that I don't know much about fashion at all. <laughs> uh, but every single time it will be tagged. Uh, Bottega Veneta, that's probably also butchering another name. Oh, let's go butcher some more. <laughs> but, but that's what I mean, that she's constantly showing everyone how much money she has and the reason where it Accepting of that is because we know she's self-made. I agree. I don't think, I know when, my, when I said at the very start, you can't underestimate the, how self-deprecating humour 
can get you far in this country particularly. I think it's interesting when you compare someone like her and Chrissy Teigen. That sounds so weird when you say it properly. <laughs> who is sort of a kind of is I would say a Zoe Foster Blake force in America in that being that funny, likable mom businesswoman. But the difference between someone like Chrissy Teigen, who is quite political, and, and Zoe Foster Blake, who probably can't be, is that we have a huge sense of tall poppy syndrome in Australia. And I don't think that Australian ha- Australia has the same climate as the US where we allow someone like Zoe to be political. And Chrissy can and still be liked. The other thing I don't think we can underestimate is the power, the absolute power in having a woman in the public eye like her clearly working very hard with a huge social media following. Having a career that's not focused on a body or a face but a personality is very cool and the more young women that follow that, the better because I think that's what our aspiration should look like. If if Instagram is going to be an aspirational culture, why not have Zoe at the helm where it's really cool to work very hard for, for a company or for whoever you want to be? Yeah, absolutely. And I also really appreciate that she's a mum and she's doing it and her uh, her business doesn't revolve around being a mum, which I'm not telling anyone who's a mummy blogger that that's a bad thing to do. However, it's good to have both sides of the coin where women like you and I, Zara, and anyone listening who is quite driven in their career can look up to women like Zoe with two kids and think, I can do it. And I can have my own identity while I do it. Exactly. I really, really love Zoe Foster Blake. I think she's a master of her own PR. And I think her relationship with Hamish has also helped that to a certain extent, because I do think we still see women as an extension of their husbands. And I think having Hamish behind her has been it's kind of made them both a force to be reckoned with because they are the most lovable couple in the Australian. And when you say that and when we have conversations about that, it is very hard to have conversations about that carefully. And when we say it's important, it's, it's had an impact. There's no doubt about it that, that Hamish has been tied to Zoe. That's not an indictment on them or us, but in fact an indictment on Australia because we cannot often see women as their own people yet. I mean, it's the same Roxy Jacenko parallel that we keep talking to. Her husband has been uh, in jail for insider training and we hate that. We yeah, hate and we hate is, her for that. Yes, exactly. We somehow find reason that she should be blamed for that. And I think that's a really important thing to note too. Yeah, it's the same way we see Katie Holmes completely differently. When she was with Tom Cruise, we kind of looked down on Katie Holmes as a bit of a weirdo. Now that she's with Jamie Foxx, who's a really cool guy. We love Jamie Foxx. We Fox. love Katie Holmes again. Yeah. And so it is. it does come back to what Dr. Lauren Rosewarn, who I spoke to for that piece that we'll put in the show notes about Zoe and Roxy speaks to sexually transmitted ethics. That's the term that she uses for it in that we often see women as an extension of their husbands and anything that their husband has done, good or bad, the woman is also held to account for those actions. And so it's paid off in Zoe Foster Blake's case. However, that's not taking away from anything that she's done off her own. But I think it's she just the has, smallest slice of it. It's the smallest slice of it. And I think it'll be really fascinating to see how high her career soars, because at the moment it's very intimidating, very impressive and fucking amazing. It is. And I think a lot of her success is is going to rely on how much we allow her to be successful now, the public. If, if we decide to rip her down, that will be totally on us. But I can't see it happening at all yet. I hope not. I just want to protect my, my family in this whole thing. I've got a wife, I've got a daughter, my wife's heavily pregnant. So I just want them to be safe and happy. And in my current situation at home, there's just no chance of that. 
This week, the South Sydney Rabbitohs and NRL completed their investigations into a sexting matter that seized the competition. It came after a young woman accused players, including the high-profile Sam Burgess, of sending her unsolicited naked photos over social media. The investigation deemed no player was found to have breached their NRL contract, but questions still remain about what actually went down and why they went down. Mish, we might not be NRL fans, at all. In fact, I don't even think we know the rules. But I why- would not be able to name another team apart from Melbourne Storm. I think Sam Burgess is the only player I know. But why were you so interested in the story this week? Because I think that um, football players behaving badly will always captivate our attention. Yeah. And I think it's really ironic that in the same week that this scandal broke, that Channel 10 premiered their new drama based entirely on WAGs and AFL culture and the seedy underbelly of that industry. And so I think that's why it's really captivated all of our attention. And I think I really care about footballers behaving badly because it's symptomatic of getting a bunch of young guys who have too much money and potentially too big egos and then giving them, giving them access to iPhones and seeing what happens. And I feel sympathetic for this woman who complained about the actions of these men because how difficult would it be for her Mm. to actually pursue this? She began complaining about this in May. This is what I'm very troubled with. So let's go back a bit and give some context on this. This woman um, apparently reached out to Sam Burgess over social media saying that there was a fake account of his somewhere, whether it be on on Tinder. On Tinder. And he replied with some kind of joke about whether she swiped right or something i'm not on tinder because so you know you've had a boyfriend for about a million years so look at me pretending to not know if it's swipe right or swipe left it's obviously right (laughs) anyway she they had a conversation and we know this happened because she later went to the daily telegraph and sent all these screenshots so the naked photos it being sam burgess's account and these messages she originally went to the club she didn't go to the media and i think when we have conversations about women coming forward about anything people always ask well why did you go to the media well they actually women often try to take the correct line of of action it just doesn't get anywhere she went to the club three times between may and august this year and not once did anything happen they promised an investigation was happening it didn't so then she went to the daily telegraph yeah and how much do we expect of a woman to pursue this right so obviously it's been dropped because she didn't want to speak in front of an investigation panel however she already had an interview with the integrity unit investigator and She's in South Africa, this woman, right now. Her identity is being protected, thank goodness, because we shouldn't know who she is or what her name is or have photos of her or anything like that. But what type of emotional commitment and stress do we expect these women to go through just to report really shitty behaviour? Isn't it enough that she would speak to the integrity unit officer, not have to sit in front of a panel? A five-person panel. Five-person panel and be absolutely grilled. If you're like, they've got the screenshots, yeah. she's done an interview. How much do we really expect these women to go through to just get these guys who have behaved in a really gross and seedy manner just to be reprimanded for that? Well, what troubles me is how commonplace, A, football is behaving badly is, but the, the internal investigation, whether it be the sporting code investigation or the football club investigation because the woman like you said was interviewed by the the NRL integrity unit declined to be quizzed by a five-person panel and so because of that the men were cleared so the uh, spokesperson for the NRL said when they were cleared on Friday 
based on a thorough review of the available evidence. And I think the wording is very interesting here and we need to be very um, clear on the wording. On the available evidence before it, the panel was not satisfied that any South Sydney player engaged in any actionable misconduct resulting in a breach of their NRL playing contract, the NRL rules or the SSFC code of conduct. If any additional information emerges it will be considered. So basically what they're saying there is we didn't have enough, so they're cleared. And I think the message that the media is sending and what the conversation is now is that that they were cleared, nothing was wrong, that this was fake news when it absolutely wasn't. And I think the distrust of the media definitely plays into how we receive this story because there was a lot of talk on Twitter and on social media as to why the Daily Telegraph would report something like this when the players were later cleared. Well, because it, it, it's the story itself is not false. It's just the matter at which the NRL can actually punish them. Yeah. I would have loved to know if they expected her to come back from South Africa just to sit in front of this stupid panel and give her insights when she's been trying to give her insights for months and they've completely ignored her until they couldn't ignore her any longer. What I found most frustrating about how this story unfolded is the discussion of Phoebe, who is uh, Sam Burgess's heavily pregnant wife. She's a media personality, a brand ambassador for Bobby Brown and for Johnson's Baby. And I really struggled with a lot of the opinion pieces and thought pieces around Phoebe this week. I feel like they were very transparent. There was an opinion piece in a couple of publications written by journalists who said things like, I've met Phoebe once, injecting themselves into the story to try and sympathize with her and saying, oh, I've interviewed her and she was glowing when I interviewed her and I can only imagine what she's going through right now. And it just felt like very transparent and empty sympathy when really we're only writing about Phoebe because we know she's one of the most salacious angles into the story. Absolutely. And I think from, from a media perspective or for people that work in the industry, there is a lot of traffic that comes for publications through SEO. SEO for people who don't work in the industry is basically Google traffic. So when you Google something, the articles that come up, you want your articles to be as high as possible so that people click through after that Google. They know, publications know that people are going to be Googling Phoebe this week or Sam Burgess's wife to know whether he's married, who he's married to and the nature of that relationship. So it is very transparent when people are writing about Phoebe on the false premise that they feel sorry for her because if you do actually feel sorry for the woman at the centre of this saga, you won't talk about her at all. You won't bring her into this and let her actually deal with this privately. Especially when she's pregnant. And a lot of them were just really frustrating. There was one on nine that I really struggled with, which just felt so saccharine and so, as I've said, transparent. Like you can see through it. If you went up to Phoebe and said, would you prefer that nine honey Mm. write this story about you? Or do you prefer that you're just left alone when you're 27 weeks pregnant, have a young child and have a husband who's in the middle of a media storm at the moment? She would say, please don't write about me. So I just find it a bit annoying that all these headlines and journalists are coming out saying, oh, I can only imagine the poor thing. She must be struggling. Yeah, she probably is really fucking struggling. Leave her alone. Like, just let her be. I agree with that. And then I think the other conversation that needs to come out of this is a broader one about locker room banter and footy club. I think this idea of footy club group think that when boys come together, and I say boys, they're actually men. When men come together and they drink and they're on their phones and they're having banter with one woman, it feels A, like they're ganging up and B, that they all jib responsibility or there's no sense of accountability because they're all doing something silly and nobody's at the helm of it. I have struggled and always will struggle with footy club culture and how it gets men out of 
pretty shitty, sticky situations because there's a lot of them acting similarly at the same time. And then the result of that shitty behavior is often an internal investigation that doesn't get anywhere. Yeah. And this is where I want to bring in an example from my own club who I love dearly. And I actually was pretty impressed with how they handled a very similar scenario. You've just rolled your eyes. However, (laughs) I might be a bit biased. I'm going to put that out there. So uh, after the grand final last year, which Richmond won, which I'll hold on to for the rest of my life now, Nathan Broad is a defender for our club and he disgustingly released nude photos. It was a woman topless with the premiership medal around her neck. She allegedly asked him to delete the images that he had on his phone. He told her that he did. He did not. He instead sent them on to people who then sent them on to thousands upon thousands of Australian men, I'm guessing mostly, and onto yeah, social groups. media this websites. This is where WhatsApp groups comes into it. Yes. So uh, this was a scenario that's very similar to the Sam Burgess story now. And what I really liked about this is that Richmond has one of the only female presidents in Mm. charge of a male-led footy club in the country. And Peggy O'Neill is fantastic. I really, really love her. She's an Australian-based lawyer and she was named in uh, the top 100 most influential Australian women last year. And she gave him a three-game ban for that. And there was an internal investigation and he was punished. Do I believe the punishment was harsh enough? Not sure. I I mean, that's up for debate, and it was debated a lot last year. At least he was given a punishment in this scenario, whereas this scenario in the NRL, I would love to know how many women would have been on that investigation panel because the more women we have in the upper echelons of organisations means the more understanding we have about how it feels to be a woman in this scenario and be intimidated or be offended by sexually lewd you feel powerless. If there is a group of five or six people FaceTiming you, sending you unsolicited naked photos, you absolutely feel powerless. And I can't think of another description of, uh, than the idea of being totally bullied and ganged up on. So men clearly don't understand what it's like to be a woman in that scenario. And I think there would be so many men from the Rabbitohs in particular who would walk away from this still not understanding how somebody couldn't take a joke. Clearly, this woman was quite troubled by it because she did, like we said, go to the club three times and then went to the paper. The club's lack of action to me mirrors quite uh, interestingly how we just mentioned before that Sam Newman did a very weird resignation this year. I think my understanding is that he got pushed out of that show and he's trying to be a bit awkward about it. But regardless, I don't think Sam Newman's coming back to the footy show next year. It's clear to me that action on these things are only taken when absolutely necessary and dire. For example, the footy show's ratings have never been lower. Sam Newman's got to go. When it comes to the the Rabbitohs scandal, action was only taken when the Daily Telegraph published the images and named the people. When, when it comes to footy players behaving badly and men behaving badly in the industry, there's still no sense that let's jump on this narrative before it gets public so we're at the, at the helm of what the conversation that ensues. It is very much reactive once it's out there, which really, really disappoints me because it, it's clear that nobody's learnt about about these things after everything. Yeah, and I mean, it is easy to be pessimistic, but I do think the needle on the dial is moving. So I think we are slowly seeing an injection. We are slowly seeing an injection of women into the footy landscape. For example, Fox Footy this year introduced On The Mark, which is its first all-female panel footy show, Mm -hmm. and they discuss men's football. It's a great program. I highly recommend if you're into football that you watch that on Fox Footy. But I think those little things, seeing women introduced onto commentary panels, Daisy Pierce, seeing women introduced onto boards and committees and made president of football clubs. This is when we're going to start seeing men held accountable for really intimidating behavior. And I think that's what it is. I feel like men probably don't understand when they're seeing the Sam Burgess story, they're not going, 
oh, I understand how this is intimidating to this woman because apparently the phone calls kept coming, the photos mm. kept coming after she said, don't contact me. So if that's what she's saying, I can completely understand how small that would have made her feel. And the more women we get into the football locker rooms and we get into the boards and we get on the table, the more this stuff will be stamped out completely. I agree with you, but and I don't necessarily want to end on a pessimistic note, but I do want to be a realist about this in that it feels like a very long time away where women are going to have any kind of influence on this culture. And I just don't know why any woman would come forward with allegations like this if this is how it results. I don't understand what incentive there is for any woman at the moment in the current climate to come forward, regardless of the Me Too movement, because we we want to encourage women to come forward. But but given how these instances, particularly locally in sporting um, industries, are being dealt with, I don't know why a woman would come forward because you get absolutely crucified, whether your name's on the public record or not. Mm, it's true. Anyway, I'm so sorry to leave that on depressing <laughs> note, but I can't possibly not. That is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 29. Before we go, we are a little independent podcast. Is Zara and I here with our coffees, which we get before we record every show now. It's our little tradition. So if you love Shameless and you want to help us grow, please click subscribe. If you're looking on Apple Podcasts, there will be a little purple button that says subscribe. If you click that, that actually moves us up the charts with every single click. So that's really helpful. Otherwise, tell a friend or put it on your Instagram story. Every time someone puts a little show on their Instagram story, it rockets us up those charts and we get so many new listeners and so many new ears that we're talking into. So thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. If you want to do something else as well, if you want to come join the conversation, you know you can find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. You can come and join our Facebook group. There are about 2,000 people in there now, so don't worry. It's not just me and Michelle talking at each other. So go to Facebook and search for Shameless Celebrity Gossip on Facebook. Or you can just tell a friend and do the old-fashioned thing and have a conversation. What's that? Yeah, (laughs) the thing we just did for the last hour. (laughs) Hey, that's all for today, guys. We will see you in our Facebook group or on Instagram. We will chat to you next week for episode 30. Thanks, guys. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one. <laughs>